Hey everyone, this is Dr. Travis Stork, and my guest today is the Reverend Nelson Bernard Dorsey Jr., um, or my good friend Bernie. Bernie and I have a great conversation today, what we like to call our Sunday conversations because it was a little bit on the deeper side. And we go into depth, basically getting Bernie's perspective on the current state of affairs in our country. Bernie is a black man who is also a minister, and he has a very, I think, wise perspective in terms of offering hope, but also talking about how to bridge this gap that feels so apparent right now. Um, we talk about racism. We talk about um, religion and how religion plays a role and how religion can bring people together or push people apart. Um, but as a man of faith, he has a very unique perspective on that. But more importantly, it's always just fun for me to be able to spend time catching up with Bernie as roommates in college. And we lived in DC together after college. The miles may have pushed us apart in terms of me living in Nashville and him in the DC area, but you know, it's fun when you can talk to a good friend. It feels like really only a day has passed since you last spoke. I also would just add, only because I'm recording this on Monday, the 15th of June, and I'm recording it right now for a reason, which is uh, we just got back from an ultrasound and Paris had an OB appointment because she's past due. So tomorrow morning at 6.30 a.m., we are going into the hospital and Paris is going to be induced. And um, just to, some stuff was on the ultrasound. Baby looks good, but there were some things that let her OB to believe it was time. So the next time that uh, I speak on this podcast, it will be hopefully as a new father. And I'm excited to share that perspective and um, talk about what it feels like to, to look at a baby and know that, that he's ours. Anyway, enjoy this podcast with Bernie. Ever since we were roommates in college and roommates after college in DC, we've had you know, we've had deep conversations about life. And I think we figure, we figure stuff out along the way. And I, I think that um, one of the things I respect about you is you've gone through a lot of twists and turns in life. And, you know, we, we, um, we've had so many conversations about family, career, life, race, religion. And right now, maybe two of the hottest button issues in in the world right now yep our race and religion and you're a reverend you're a man of god i but try also, to do yeah <laughs> don't, don't we? <laughs> well i don't know about all of us um but I, like honestly i'll give you the floor here to talk about this because here you are you're a black man who is a deeply religious man. And right now, the reason I say that those are two hot button issues is even thinking back to, was it last week when the president went in front of the church with the Bible and yeah. sort of almost created this dichotomy that I feel is this false dichotomy between um, 
God, religion, and that was almost viewed as anti-protest and Black yeah. Lives Matter. And I'm, I'm just yeah. curious, sort of your opinion on the state of where things are at right now. Well, I mean, the, the, the general opinion is things are a mess, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality of it. And, you know, b- before I even get into all that, I, I just wanted to say that um, despite all of the turmoil and challenges in uh, our current world, <clears throat> and especially on these types of issues, uh, one of the things that gives me hope uh, just day by day is, for instance, the friendship I have with you. Like just, uh, you know, people that are uh, on our face very different, but at our core, probably very similar. Uh, and uh, if we can have the kind of friendship and brotherly love that we do, then then there's still hope. So uh, before I get into all the negative, which it certainly is there, um, I, I think I just kind of give it that backdrop that despite everything being a mess, that that there's still hope. There's still hope, even if it's just a glimmer. Uh, there there's still hope. But you know, things, Trav are are just, I mean, to, would we ever have thought that we would be living through this kind of stuff in 2020? I mean, as, as a black man, uh, I never thought that racism was over in America. <clears throat> and I think uh, I underestimated the backlash that was going to happen after eight years of having Barack Obama as president, uh, because a lot of this is really just an attempt to repudiate uh, not just what he did, but what he stood for. Uh, and so <clears throat> when you look at the administration currently, it seems to be their only goal is to undo anything and everything that might have the name Obama attached to it. Um, and I think in large part, uh, that that is because of race. It is. Um, now, not not everyone who, who votes uh, non democratic is is a racist i'm not saying that at all but when you look at uh the the face of of the republican party uh and the the face of um what has become conservatism and i would say mainstream conservatism because trump won the election right so uh his views despite what people say in front of cameras um the bottom line is the man got 50 million votes four years ago. Uh, so there are a lot of people that really do support what he stands for, what he says, but everything isn't really just about him. I, mean, I, I think it's just um, a, a coming to the surface of stuff that's, that's already been there. Uh, and so for me, it's hard to look at anything without having a spiritual perspective first. So there are those of us uh, in in my circles, uh, that I would say, um, and I, I wouldn't say evangelical, although I guess technically I might be an evangelical, just not the kind that is labeled, uh, in, in media. Um, but people like me who are in more Pentecostal or prophetic circles, uh, have known that there was a shaking that was coming to the earth. Um, and I think spiritually we're witnessing a lot of that, uh, and it's manifesting in some of the things that we see now. Uh, and so the the shaking that's happening uh, in in what I would say the spiritual realm is uh, is manifesting in these real real problems that we see in America. As a black man, it is 
fundamentally the issue at hand, which has always been the issue in this country, it's white supremacy. It might show its face in the issue currently of police brutality. Um, it, it might show its face uh, as it did you know, a few years ago uh, when you know, Trayvon Martin was, was killed uh, by a non-policeman, right? By citizens who um, say that they have a right to stand their ground even though they're the aggressor. So long as the person is black, it seems, um, then they can get away with being a vigilante. But uh, whether it's that, whether it's um, impairing voting rights, those types of schemes, which we probably just saw in Georgia, uh, it wasn't just a matter of um, failed voting machines or, um, well, social distancing and the pandemic made the lines long and all that kind of stuff. You know, you're, you're talking about a state that has a history of uh, voter suppression. So all these things that keep coming up and then coming together in this climate really is about the notion of white supremacy. It's it's the attempt to maintain a um, society where the color of your skin defines your value and your worth. And because it's fundamentally based on a lie, there's no way that, 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 that that's not going to cause some turmoil uh, because no lie is going to live forever. And the, the desire to elevate one group uh, over another uh, is what this country sadly was founded on. It's like the original sin of slavery, the um, original sin of genocide of Native Americans. Those are things that this country is built on. And I, I'm not saying it to tear the country down. I mean, I'm an American. And whenever I travel overseas, um, I take pride in having an American passport. Um, and I, I, I love America. Um, but there are so many things about it that uh, exist because of things that happened uh, at, our, at our roots uh, as a nation. And uh, the, the notion of white supremacy has been uh, at the root of, of America's issues from the beginning. And so it's that, it's that false notion that says to me, from the time my head leaves the pillow in the morning to the time my head hits the pillow at night, either me my sons, my father, my brother, my brother-in-law, my father-in-law, my cousins, anyone who has my skin color could very well not make it through the day alive because of an encounter with police for no other reason. Going to Duke doesn't change that. Having an Ivy League educated wife you know, who's an attorney doesn't change that. I was an attorney worked for a federal judge that doesn't change it you know i was blessed to grow up in a family that you know, was financially well off that doesn't change it it's this idea that an immutable characteristic is what defines your value in the society is based on a lie and sadly it's a lie that even if people aren't expressly told that lie as they're young and growing up it's so ingrained in every facet in every system of our society that it's it, it's it's hard to imagine any environment or uh, institution where uh, it hasn't affected what happens day to day so so i think that so much of what we're dealing with really 
if you have to, if you, if you could narrow it down to how you would define the issue, to me, that's what the issue is. It manifests in different ways, but that's what the issue is. And so that's why it's troubling when you, as a nation, look to your elected leaders to make a difference and to bring peace and unity. Uh, what you get is something totally different. In fact, it's just the opposite. Uh, and so one of the things that's troubling to me as not just a black man, but uh, as a man of faith is so many people with these big names, and I'm not going to say who they are because I don't want to tear them down, but you know, you have these people with these big names in ministry circles who seems like unequivocally uh, support anything and everything that the current president says and does. Yet, uh, when you have these situations where clearly there's a cry for justice and compassion, those same voices seem to be silent. Um, and, and so, you know, my, my challenge has become not just one of living day to day as, as a black man, but also in terms of being a man of faith. How do I challenge uh, people in religious establishment uh, that don't look like me? Uh, how do I challenge them to to actually care and realize that it's not a political issue? It shouldn't be, uh, but but that's what it's become. <clears throat> um, and, and again, I, I don't think that if you look at anyone's life, no one's going to be perfect, right? I'm not saying that. Um, but one of the things that we have to do is take honest stock of who we are, uh, what our shortcomings are, and make an effort to get better. The thing is, I just don't think that for a large portion of, of white America, um, it, it just doesn't seem to me that despite uh, laws that have changed, despite um, so many different things that have happened, the notion of white supremacy and white superiority has not been repealed in the hearts and minds of, of a whole lot of people. Um, and I think some of it, it truly is unintentional. I, I don't think that everyone... Uh, that's affected by it uh, has 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 acted in certain ways intentionally. I think it's just such a part of 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 our society that again it affects everything that that we do. Um, but with that being said, there there is a certain faction in this country uh, that seem emboldened and have seemed emboldened the last three years, um, and they're emboldened by things that are, that are said uh, from this White House. Let me ask you, because there's subtle racism, there's overt racism, and then there, there are quite frankly things that can be mistaken as malice that maybe aren't. But my question for you is, how do you reconcile with everything that's going on? One of the things that I was hoping for was that you would see the re religious establishment step up and talk about mm -hmm. how we are all in this together and, and if religion is supposed to be that you are following or walking down a moral path that all people are equal. I mean, here you and I are, our friendship mm -hmm. transcends race. When we're talking, we're not thinking about you're black, I'm white. It transcends yep. religion. A lot of humans, a lot of people in this country will use their religion as a, um, like this cloak of superiority yep. and almost there's this feeling out there right now um, that 
sort of separates these two issues, religion and race. And I think they're deeply rooted in their religion in this country is deeply flawed. In my opinion. And I don't want to mm-hmm. go down the religious mm-hmm. pathway right now because that's like yeah. a future conversation. But I, as a white man, am troubled when I view individuals who feel like they have moral superiority because they claim they're religious and yet the way they live their lives is anything but religious in my mind. And so how do you, how do you reconcile all that, especially as a black man who literally, and, and I I have to admit, Bernie, when you texted me this last week, when you said you're going on a, a trip and you decided to get an RV for your family and you've been running a lot and you said, Travis, I don't feel comfortable as a black man going for a run in areas I don't know. And you asked me to help you with a workout routine. So you wouldn't have to be, be out there to, for people need to think about that for a minute. Here I am. So, so think, think about this, Travis. So what, what I'm saying is, um, a family of six. Okay. So it'll be, um, myself, a Duke educated law school graduate, former attorney with, a black wife who is an Ivy League graduate, a civil rights attorney, two sons at the most prestigious all-boys school, private school in D.C., a father who's a very successful businessman, a mother with a doctorate in education and is an elected official in her area. There is a real concern that we have driving through middle America out to, I think we're going to go to South Dakota as our ultimate destination. Um, But the thought is as much as I would like to jump out of the RV at four or five o'clock in the evening and go for a nice run. I I just, there's no way I feel safe doing that. I I, I really don't feel safe doing it um, because, um, and, and it's not necessarily just because of the current environment. I think the current environment, makes it more of a reality. Um, but, but it, but it is a reality. It is a reality that I don't feel like I can go anywhere, um, that I'm not familiar with and be comfortable that I'll necessarily return. And that's whether I'm concerned about, um, you know, civilians or, or police. I mean, think about what I'm saying in terms of, I just want to go for a run. Now there are, uh, different takes so far on on the case of the young man Aubrey that was uh, killed down in Georgia, uh, but all he was doing he was out there going for a run, right? I, and 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 that's the same kind of thing I'm talking about. It is a real concern for us. It's it's our reality. Let me give you this uh, another antidote. So maybe six months ago, I'm not sure when it was, but within the last year, um, Houston, my younger son. So he'll be, he's eight, he'll be nine in a couple of weeks, good Lord willing. Um, And Houston was outside um, in the front yard. We were actually visiting my parents. Uh, He was outside in in their front yard, um, nice rural area uh, in Maryland. And uh, they heard a police siren in the distance. And Houston apparently started grabbing all of his toys from the front yard and saying to my mother, I say, Granzi, we've got to get inside. We've got to get inside. And she said to him, well, no, Houston, the, the, the police siren is, is way out there. He's like, and, and Houston said at eight years old, no, we have to hurry up and get inside because if the police come by 
and they see me outside, they might shoot me because I'm black. That is the reality of an eight-year-old living in this country. Did he, Bernie, did he pick up on that on his own? Was that something that through his observations or what have you, what have you talked to them about and so, at what age? Um, we've had to talk about some things with uh, our older one. Nelson is um, 14. So we've, we've had to have some conversations with him, but you know, because we're together when we have those conversations, Houston does overhear a lot of things. Uh, and also his mother is a civil rights lawyer. So she, she fights those, those battles every day, not police brutality, but uh, discrimination in, in other contexts. Um, so uh, it's very much a part of, of our conversation because it's, it's, it's our lives, right? Um, so I think it's probably a combination of things. I think he has picked up on some things and heard some things. And we've also been intentional uh, to, to say to them, look, even though you're a kid, um, you still have to be leery of police going by and looking at you. Um, so, for instance, Houston is not allowed to play with his Nerf guns in the front yard. He's not allowed to do it because of the fear that someone with uh, either a pure motive or an impure motive um, who, who has a badge and a gun could could take some kind of action and then there'd be no repercussion it's like this stuff's i think until recently that that kind of story sounds a little crazy but i think seeing what we've seen in this nation over the past few weeks um it it shows that these aren't stories that we make up as black people this is the reality that we live in and you know just not to be too intellectual or, or scholarly, but I'm I'm thinking of like W.E.B. Du Bois uh, when he wrote uh, "The Souls of Black Folk." He he touched on it uh, immediately, and it's you know we as black people have to live with this double consciousness, right? It's it's always seeing ourselves through the eyes of white America, um, yet also through our own uh, eyes of who we really are as black Americans. And so there's this constant struggle and this constant tension uh, just in how we live. I think an interesting study might be, um, and I don't know how you would do this medically, but uh, the, the fact that so many African-Americans have high blood pressure and, and certain um, you know, health issues, I don't think it's just because we eat poorly uh, or because we don't exercise uh, or because there aren't good grocery stores in our neighborhoods, I think all those things absolutely play a play a role. I, don't, I wouldn't. I'm not saying that they don't. But when you live under the constant pressure that we do in this country, just in terms of being able to have our lives preserved on a day to day basis, is there any surprise? Should there be any surprise that, that we have some of the health conditions that we do? Not to mention the metal, mental health conditions that we had that uh, we, we as people don't really deal with uh, like we should. But it's, it's such a multi-layered um, negative effect that it, that it has on us um, that, honestly, it's, it's somewhat of a miracle that we're still here. As a race of people in this country, it's somewhat of a miracle that we're still here in light of everything that, that we deal with. And again, I'm a big proponent of education. I think that helps level the playing field. Um, but I'm also a firm believer 
that it's a good possibility that what I had to do to get an A might be a little bit different than what someone who didn't look like me had to get an A. Um, and that kind of thing still still exists. Because, you know, there's implicit bias. There's you know all all these things that that we're constantly dealing with as black people, and it's just sad um, that we can't really live in this country the way everyone else can live. And yet, you know, and this is where I don't want to call it ironic, but because I know you, someone might listen to what you're saying right now and they might say he is a Mm. bitter black man and he should be thankful that he has a Duke education and that he has a law degree and he should be blessed. And you did earlier say that you are proud to be an American. And so one of the things that I've Mm -hmm. observed, and this is from a white man's perspective, is the amount of subtle racism that is around me. And the reason it's subtle is because of how often people will have to tell you, I'm not racist. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you've seen this so many times. And I'm not laughing about it to make light of it. But, you know, you're you're in a... um, particular part of the country. And I don't want to throw stones at the Southeast of America because I live in Tennessee, but there are a lot of people here who I believe don't think they're racist, Mm -hmm. but they are. And, um, and it's not always so subtle and it's always, it's, it's always troubled me, but the reason it's troubled me is because someone who, is a subtle racist who thinks that they understand the way you view the world. They may look at you and say, well, if he hates America, tell him to go somewhere else, but you actually love America. You actually respect this country. You love living here. And it's not like, and you can sit here and say, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, um, that we need police reform and all of these other things, but that doesn't mean that you hate all police officers. It doesn't, and I think that that's, but, but this dichotomy that exists right now, it's because quite honestly, my sense is that there's a defensiveness right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that defensiveness is because if you highlight the plight of you as a black man or anyone in this country who has been discriminated against, then if you highlight that, that means that you are then against. Right. I feel like there is this, um, there's no bridge right now. And there's this defensiveness and people are digging their heels in on both sides. And it's troubling to me. The dialogue is important. Um, with, without these kinds of conversations uh, that even might be uncomfortable for people at times, um, you know, we're not going to make progress if people don't communicate and communicate honestly. So what I appreciate about one of the things you just said is you could listen to uh, some of the things that I've said and say, well, yeah, he sounds like he's bitter and angry and he should just leave and go somewhere else. I know that that is a real response that that people can have. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a rational response, but, but it's a response. Um, now, I would say, though, that you, you can also flip that, right? Well, America is a melting pot, right? It's not just black and white. It's uh, mm-hmm. many different ethnicities and 
national origins. Essentially, we're all immigrants. Well, everyone except the black people who were slaves weren't immigrants. Um, but this is no one's native land except for the Native Americans. So um, we have this country of uh, multi-ethnicities. And so for the one that would say, well, hey, if you don't like it, leave. I would say to them, if you don't like it, leave. Like there, there, there's no difference. Um, why should uh, the country be defined uh, in the way that um, that the dominant majority of people say? Um, yeah, I know it's a democracy, right? But um, if, if you were to say <clears throat> to me, if you don't like it, leave, I would say to you, well, hey, just a few years ago, uh, we seem to be living in an America that was embracing um, multicultural um, approach to society. Uh, and if you didn't like it then, then what? Go back to Europe. Go back to where your people came from. Uh, that's that's absurd, <laughs> I think. Um, just as absurd as, as saying to me, well, if you don't like it, then you know, find some place in Africa and, and, and go there. Um, but but the subtle racism stuff, I mean, this this is stuff that's been, again, this is nothing new. It's, it's what we're seeing again. I remember, uh, and I just, I'll just share another personal incident. And I was, I remember it was, I was uh, either a freshman or sophomore at Duke. Um, and I was home for the summer and I went to the mall and I had, I think I was buying a gift for my mother at like Things Remembered or something like that. Um, and so I was standing in line, a person in front of me, um, you know, paid, you know, used, got the credit card, you know, paid for it. Lady says, thank you. It moves on. Um, so then I came up, gave her my card. And then when I gave her my card, she says, oh, can I see your license? And I said to her, I said, well, yeah, you can. I said, but the person in front of me, you didn't ask to see theirs. Oh, well, and there's no explanation for it, right? No, no reasonable explanation. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, those are the types of, of subtle things that, that exist. Now, the reason that matters is because even if that person didn't, that, that cashier didn't have um, an evil heart, so to speak, um, imagine that same person being a police officer that has a gun and can use deadly force in a given situation. Our assumptions that we make uh, in the society on people matter when we're talking about law enforcement because again the that person may not even know that they have racial tendencies right they, they might not know that i mean and i think in it, to an extent we all have some of it right um no matter no matter what we look like uh, i think our our society is the way it is such that whether you're black white uh, asian uh, latina whatever it is then you do make certain assumptions a lot of times about people based on their on their race. We do it. We do it. Um, not that it's right, but we do. It's just that it becomes dangerous uh, in, in that context, but it's also dangerous uh, when, when we continue to act as if it doesn't exist. So let's have conversations. Let's talk about it. Let's understand that something I say may provoke uh, a response in someone else different from me um, in in such a way that it's hard to have that conversation or they might say something the same way to me. But, but if we don't start talking and 
talk honestly with each other, then this sadly could be a a, a short term a short term movement. Well, and that's let me ask you: how, what is the best way, in your opinion, to develop a dialogue? Because you and I can talk openly and honestly in a way that few people can yeah. about anything. I never in my life with you am ever measuring my words. I hope you're the same with me. But in society, people who don't understand one another, often they're, they're afraid to mm-hmm. have honest conversations. Mm-hmm. They get uncomfortable. And what I've found, and tell me if you feel this way, but I, I feel like what ends up happening is like-minded people end up having conversations <laughs> with themselves and they reinforce well, they already, their they already feel. previous opinions. Yeah. And, you know, and, and anyone who sits around and acts like there's no such thing as racism, it's just the most absurd thing ever. And, you know, it's, it's hopefully evolved, but I even remember, I think I told you the story. I remember when we were roommates at Duke and I was back on the farm in Nebraska mm-hmm where with my grandma and grandpa and you know, they live out on a farm in rural Nebraska. They had never, I honestly, well, I'm not sure they had ever met a black person before. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, and they went on, they went on some bus trip and, and my grandma was like, well, you know, um, we met a black woman and she was so nice and and so that was a monumental thing <laughs> and in my mind I, I was i was trying to wrap my yeah. head around that and it was um you know my grandma's the nicest mm-hmm. person in the world literally the nicest person and yet she throughout her life had developed a probably and, and i i can't answer this for her she's no longer here and the most wonderful woman, but was probably a racist because she had never spent time with anyone other than certainly prejudiced. And and then and and that is an important distinction, Trav, because it, it's it's how do you define what racism is? Um, is it is it a synonym with prejudice, or is it you know prejudice plus power? You know, is it is it is it something plus? Um, and, is, and I don't know. What do you think? What what would you say? Because there, to me, I'm glad you corrected me there, because I literally of everyone in my family, and I can openly say this: I respect my grandmother more than anyone because I saw how kind she was to just just a mm-hmm. kind woman who prejudice. The, the term doesn't seem as racism seems like an intent. Yes. Yes, and I and I would agree. And with I'm you. curious if you feel that way. That that's how I feel. Um, it's that racism is isn't simply defining someone based on their race or even having having some prejudice. It's to me, it implies some kind of malicious heart, some kind of evil intention, um, some kind of you know, lack of a better word, sickness almost. And I think that's why a lot of people get defensive when they're called a racist. It's because they're saying to themselves, look, I don't, I don't hate these people. You know, I don't have that um, 
dark spot in my heart for an entire race of people. I try to, you know, if I'm at the grocery store and someone holds the door for me or whatever, then, you know, I'll say thank you. It doesn't matter what that person looks like. They, they don't see that um, as, as being um, racist. And so one thing I will say that, that President Trump recently said um, that I agree with, at least on its face, although his motives for saying it might be different, but on its face, he said something like, um, you know, we need to be careful to label well-intentioned people as racist. And, and I get that. I do. Mm. I do get that. Um, but at the same time, people have to understand that just because there's not um, ill will in their heart for another group of people doesn't mean that they don't have something in them in terms of just a prejudice that will cause them in some situations to treat that person differently than someone else. Um, and I think the ones that, that feel otherwise, they're not afraid anymore to just come out and, and say that's how they feel. Um, and, and that's okay too. In some ways I've almost felt more secure in the past couple of months that I, that I know I still live in America than than where we were before when things were a little more hidden um, and under the surface. Like this, sadly, sadly, this is the good old US of A to so many of us as black people. And in some ways, it's easier to navigate our lives on a daily basis when these issues are really at the forefront because then there's no guessing about, you know, my boss or Johnny or so-and-so. Um, and at the same time, of course, it's very disturbing and sad that that's, that that's where we are. But how you, let, let me just, and again, it is kind of a different conversation, but when I think about the church uh, and faith, uh, so let, let's, not the church as an institution, but just say faith. Um, it is a challenging time for me as a man of faith and a follower of the teachings of Jesus to find that place in myself where I have to love my enemies, that I have to still try to do good for those who might curse me or persecute me. Like that's the high level uh, that Jesus was teaching. And so just to give you a little bit of a, a window into my own soul right now, uh, that's the, that's the, high level stuff that I'm struggling with, uh, to, to live out. You know, it's, it's easy for me to be faithful to my wife. It's easy for me to, you know, love my children. And it's easy for me to show respect to my parents and my elders. Um, but how do I show compassion for, uh, the officer that killed Mr. Floyd? How do I, um, still find it within my being to not hate people that um, I see carrying Confederate flags or uh, wearing Klan robes out in the open in 2020. Um, you know, that's, it's one of the things I challenged my, my church with a couple of weeks ago when I was preaching. Uh, I said that, you know, we, we have to, even as victims, there's still room for us uh, to, to be better people in terms of 
um, you know, the overall thing of, of forgiveness. To forgive people that constantly treat you like that openly, those, those, are, those are hard things, but, but they're real things. And I do think that, generally speaking, though, Trav, that in this current movement and climate, um, there, there have been more and more clergy and more and more people of faith who seem to be standing with um, victims in this situation. So I, I don't, I don't want to imply that um, the church hasn't stood up. Um, I think it's a bit of a wake-up call for the church. Um, and so I think more, more church people, more people of faith uh, who up until now may have not come out and spoken uh, or stood up for justice or compassion or unity, uh, they, they do seem to be doing it more uh, than, than even just a couple of years ago. One of the things that I've always been observing maybe far too often is you know, people often hide behind their faith rather than asking the tough questions because it's scary. It's scary to look in the mirror and ask yourself the question. And, and right now I'll just focus on someone who is religious and maybe their heart's in the right place, but it can be really scary to look in the mirror as for instance, a Christian, a practicing Christian and acknowledge that maybe there's a part of you that is subtly racist and it's hard to, um, people are scared of that. People are so, if I've learned nothing else in life and it's why I don't have all the answers at all, but I'm not afraid to look in the mirror. I'm not afraid to ask tough questions. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to try to figure yep. out every day how to be a better yep. person. And if I ever, quite honestly, if I ever go off my path, I'm asking you to put me back on it, whether for anything, for any reason. But right. I think if I've observed anything in right. life, I'm 48 years of age and I look around at everyone and I still, I feel like both you and I have matured a lot mm -hmm. since we first met 30 years ago. And that's you and I, I hope make decisions. <laughs> Isn't it so long ago? And you know, when you're, when you're 18, you should spend more time or you do spend more time worrying about what do people think of me? What is, you're starting to build your own concept of right and wrong, who you are, how you fit in in society and your experience, obviously different than mine, just because you at a much younger age talk about having to get used to judgments. You've already laid that out, but my, yeah, like my, my, my thought is that religion and, and the next conversation we have, I want to focus on this a little more. I see it as the pot a potential bridge here, but what I've seen, and I'm not as, I may not be as forgiving as you are. I, uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I said I'm working I've, on it. <laughs> okay. I'm working on it. <laughs> that makes me feel better because I've, I've struggled a lot as of late with the way I view a lot of things. And I, you know, without going off on the tangent, finding out that we're inducing tomorrow to have baby Grayson, you start thinking yeah. about um, the world in which you're raising your son. Again, this is for a yeah. future conversation. But I am not as, I don't suffer fools easily anymore. Right. And I think right. I used to naively think that, this sounds terrible, but I, I used to naively think that a lot of people I interacted with were well-intentioned. But I've been, uh, probably ever since I left my little cocoon of my good friends, 
and ventured out in the big bad world, I've confronted so many subtly narcissistic, yeah, yeah, not good people, and they they they, they put on these good faces, and and you you're like, wow, that person who I thought was a good person, they're not. And a lot of them might sit in a church, right, and go to church on Sunday and and claim to be religious and and all that kind of stuff. And to me, this whole racial thing that is in the hearts and minds of of so many of us in America um, is, and like you just you you touched on something a second ago that jumped out at me because it was uh, something that I preached a couple Sundays ago, which is faith, religion. This is an opportunity to be a bridge. And in, in a in a different way is here is how I put it. In my view, and again, this is coming from a perspective of a man of faith first. White supremacy is an idol. It's an idol. And my statement was something to the effect of: until the idol of white supremacy is torn down in the church in America, we shouldn't really expect it to happen in in larger society because if people who claim to truly be disciples of Jesus Christ can live with um, racism in their heart on a day-to-day basis, why, why should I expect something different from, from someone else who, who, who isn't that? And that from a, that's a Christian perspective, obviously. Um, But in so many ways, we've gotten so comfortable in this country with all of our material blessings and prosperity that we we attribute um, we attribute a lot of those things to us being good people when that might not necessarily be the case, right? If we all look in the mirror closely, we are going to actually you don't have to look closely. If we look in the mirror, we're going to find some flaw. Now, maybe not on your face, you know, your high cheekbones and, you know, you're made for, <laughs> made, made for TV looks. Um, oh, but, but, beneath, but beneath, beneath <laughs> that, we're, we're all going to find some kind of flaw. And that's one of the things that, that I think people of faith need to say, you know what, that's okay. Because we are, we're, if we're trying to be better, we can't be better if we don't acknowledge what those shortcomings are. I'll tell you just a, a personal anecdote. And I was just telling, um, I think I was telling my son Nelson this the other day. Um, we were having a pretty deep conversation. You actually would have enjoyed it. Um, but <clears throat> he was talking about how, um, you know, he, you know, had some challenges this past year in school and uh, didn't really like kind of the person he was at times and he wanted to you know, just be better. And, you know, he just started having this conversation. Uh, and I said to him, I said, you know, son, one of the things, that I've never shared with you is the biggest, one of the biggest areas of my life that I had trouble with was lying when I was a, when I was a lawyer. And I said, you know, it could be something like, Oh, my secretary rings me and says, Oh, so-and-so's on the phone. And I'll say, well, you know, tell them I'm in court or tell them I'm in a meeting uh, or um, you know, one thing after another, just stuff like that. But um when I really started doing an inventory of my life, I realized that that behavior, which didn't really seem like a big deal to me, it almost seemed like it was just part of the job that I had to do at the time, that that was a real character flaw. Like that was a problem. And so um, I remember I, I, I kind of 
uh, heard God ask me that question one day. I was sitting in my office and I remember him saying to me, when is the last day you haven't told a lie? And I kind of just, you know, chuckled to myself a little bit. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a strange question. But the question came again. And when I started thinking about it, I couldn't remember the last day that, that I hadn't told some kind of untruth. Um, but un- until I got to a place where I was okay admitting that, um, could I ever really make a change? No. And, and, and so this whole racial thing that's in so many people, um, you know, we, we have to be willing to acknowledge that it's there, but that we can then try to do something to make a step in the, in, in the right direction. So I, I've become one that doesn't, I don't really try to hide from, from my flaws and my mistakes. I, I'm human like everybody else. All right. So you just highlighted another topic of conversation for a future honest conversation. This is important. You basically just told me that as a lawyer, you were required in many ways to lie. So it wasn't required. I chose to. Well, it, it, I, look, my wife's a lawyer, as you know, yeah. and, and she is much like you has a lot of problems with the legal profession because the question is, does the end or do the ends justify the means? Mm-hmm. And we live in a time where I'm not sure that we have one politician who doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more lies you tell, you know, the easier it is to tell lies. And so if our entire justice right. system is based on people telling lies and winning versus justice, that's a, another issue entirely. So, yeah. you know, religion plays a role here. Justice play, the justice system plays a role here. The, um, there, there are so many, there. It's a crowded <laughs> intersection, right? It's a crowded intersection. It's overwhelming. And, it you know, we haven't even, you and I were on the phone earlier. And of course my head is spinning because you might, you know, my head spins all the time. And yeah. I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, you raise kids in this environment to be Ooh. good people. And this is, this is for the next time we talk. Think about this for another conversation, which is how do you teach your son to be honest when he sees that dishonesty uh. can often lead to higher political office, greater profits in business? Winning in the courtroom. Absolutely. Winning at life. Absolutely. So let, let's save that for the next that's, conversation as, as to be continued as we talk about race, religion, that's a good talk, justice yeah. system. That's right. A good it's talk. big. It's yeah. deep. Yeah. And, and honestly, there are um, I've needed this for a while because I've been discouraged. I've been discouraged because I think I used to be naive. I used to think that it was goodness that would win the day and not just overt lying. And now that I, I, I'm old enough and smart enough to, I, I do believe what you and I do well is we look at both sides. We try and to, yeah. We yeah. try to understand if, if someone has an argument and they're making point A, someone who's making an argument for point B, I like to at least try to put myself in these people's shoes. Again, whether this is politics or anything else in life, um yeah, it's, and, and it's, it's it's sad though right it's sad because um we we need as a nation you need a unifying voice of leadership that's what you need but when it's more beneficial to certain people in order to hold on to their power when it's more beneficial to sow discord 
and to tell lies. Yeah. What are we left with? We're, we're left with this craziness right now. And Bernie, this is, this is where you know me. If, uh, if you could say I've lost my religion as someone who grew up in the church, it's because a lot of times people will say or do anything and then they'll grab a Bible. And I don't know if you call these people false prophets or what, but they'll grab a Bible and they parade it around and they feel invincible because in their minds, it's as simple as saying, hey, I'm a religious person and I'm, I'm, God has forgiven me. Yeah, and hey, that, I'm that, good. that goes to one of the first points you made today when we started talking, which is, you know, that, that photo op that the president took in front of the church in Lafayette Square in D.C. It, now, as a man of faith, a man of color, an American, I see a president walk up in front of the church and hold that Bible, yet I hear the things that he says that are untrue on a daily basis, not everything, but probably at least one thing per day. Okay. And even if he goes a week, so many things that he says that are untrue, but not just that, just in terms of how he talks to people, just the, the, the lack of kindness, um, the lack of, of just decency in so many different situations. It's like, how dare you stand there with a Bible in that environment to suggest one thing when I see what you do? It's like that, that saying, I can't hear what you're saying because I see what you're doing. And so, <clears throat> I mean, it, it, it behooves all of us as just as decent human beings. And that's what this is, right? This is really a human rights campaign right now it is we as black people in this country simply want to be seen and respected as equal human beings with other people who don't have our skin color can i can i ask you this really quickly this yeah. is and, and it opens a whole can of worms Oh, it's awkward to even bring it up, but <clears throat> what many people are doing right now who will say, Bernie, you don't represent all black people. There are a and lot I of don't. black people out there and they'll highlight a few black people who are defending the current political climate. Yep. How do you deal with that? Because that's, I'm just going to be honest with you. White America who has their heels in the, this, you know, who, who dug their heels in, they, they will point to certain individuals in the black community mm -hmm. who have defended uh, what I will call, um, I don't know what the right terminology here is. Uh, they will basically defend very much mm -hmm. the seat of discord um, and I, and I appreciate many of the arguments, which are, I, I understand. And, and you know me, I'm an ER doctor. I've worked hand in hand with police for a long time. There are a lot of really good police officers out there. Good people, yep. right? Yep. That doesn't, and that's not what this is. This isn't the police versus like, it, 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 it's, it's not individuals in the police force that you're angry with. You're angry with the discrimination that has occurred and the fact that you are worried about your son playing with his Nerf gun in the front yard. 
But what, like, what do you say to someone when they will point to, and I don't want to name names here, uh-huh, right. but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, uh-huh. where there, there will be uh, a few people who will say that this Black Lives Matter movement is setting Black people backwards because we're celebrating the wrong people. How do you respond to that? Because that is the argument that a lot of white people will make to say the Black Lives Matter movement is misguided in their minds. Yeah. And I I guess you look at it from the standpoint of the the phrase all lives matter versus Black Lives Matter, right? Because that's usually, uh, I think, the the gist of of people that you're kind of referring to, I think, at least from my perspective. And uh, a couple of things. First, I would say that no, I don't represent what all Black people think. And there are other situations where we say, hey, don't assume that all Black people think alike on every issue. So, you know, Al Sharpton doesn't necessarily represent everything I believe. Um, and Jesse Jackson doesn't, doesn't, and you know, whatever, whatever leader I want to name, um, you know, Louis Farrakhan doesn't represent, uh, everything that, that, that I think or, or whatever. So, so yeah, I, I do understand that, but I would respond to the question that you're posing in terms of trying to distinguish it from the all lives matter response. We know that all lives matter, but if you look at just the empirical data of who it is that dies at the hands of police in this country, overwhelming majority are black men. Overwhelming majority. I don't even know the number, but an overwhelming majority. Probably the next category is is going to be Hispanic men. If all lives matter, then that wouldn't be the case. You would have, uh, if there's deadly force in situations that police use, those numbers would show probably pretty equal amounts. If not, they would show more whites just by the sheer uh, nature of there being so many more white people as the as the majority population. But you see, just there are the viral opposite. videos out there, Bernie, where, and I'm sure you've heard of the name Candace Owens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that a viral video will go out where she will contradict what you're saying, and as a black woman. She's a obviously a conservative commentator. So it, it it what happens is, and this is my humble opinion, mm-hmm. is the people who disagree with that notion will grab onto one individual who is disagreeing with you, mm-hmm. and this other individual, in this case, is it Candace Owens? I think that's her name. I think it's her name. Yeah is is saying hey none of this is true um and the bridge is broken because white people have found and and i i'm i'm not even sure how to say this but it's this is what i feel what I, what i feel as a white man who supports the black lives matter movement who supports Everything that is trying to be accomplished right now and trying as a bridge, who's trying to listen to everyone. I, I, I think you know what I'm getting at here, but it's almost as though if, if white America can find one black person to support their opinion, <laughs> they use that person. Or it's like the photo op 
quite honestly, yes. in politics where yeah. there's one black person in the room and they always put yep. them right in the front. Right. In there's the front. 150 old white haired white men and yep. one black person. Yeah. How do you, how do you respond to that? Because I think I see it for what it is and maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's white America trying to justify. And, and, and I don't have, I'm, I'm not black. I don't, what do you do with that? Because to me, it feels it's hard. Yeah. It feels like white America yeah. justifying their position and digging their heels in the sand even yeah. further. Yeah. And, and, and I think that is happening and you know, people have different motives, right? I mean, some of these people who are um, well-known media figures and all that kind of stuff and politicians too, uh, they have, they have uh, motives that are different than I think a lot of everyday Americans. And the, but the question everyone has to ask themselves is do, when you find that character flaw or that issue, do you really want to change? Do you want to be better? Or are you comfortable with who you are and how things are? And I think a lot of people don't necessarily want to change, but this is one of those penetrating questions of the heart that people have to ask themselves and be honest about. And, you know, it's, yeah, it, the easy thing to do is say, is to say, oh, so-and-so, they're black, they're saying this, so-and-so, you know, supports Trump. Um, so-and-so it, it, there are too many labels that we place on people. Now, everything's either Democrat or Republican or conservative and liberal and all that, you know, what, what am I? I'm an independent, you know, I was raised as a Democrat and 15 years ago, I stopped being a Democrat. I'm an independent. But I could never identify with a Republican. So you voted you voted both Republican and Democrat. Not for president. I still have yet to cast a vote for a Republican as president. And the reason is But I think but this, the reason is but yeah, the, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say this is an important point. I think a lot of times people believe that you cannot be an independent and they view you as um like for me, I'm an independent too. Yeah. Yeah, we're independents in the middle, which I had always hoped most Americans really were. The reason so many of us as black people find ourselves labeled as being on the left and voting Democrat year after year is because we understand history, right? And history says that the same people who were opposing civil rights legislation in the 60s, they are now... They're, the, they're in the Republican Party. So from our perspective, from a lot of our perspective, that – well, let me just speak for myself. That's why I've been very reluctant to, to vote um, for the GOP because my perception, whether it's accurate or not, my perception is that it's the party that harbors the racist element of America. Maybe, maybe this is a, a place to, to close this conversation, which is – where you kind of started it, which is there should be, we should have hope, right? We've got to, who knows where this will all end up, but does it feel different this time to you? I, it does I, to I me. do think it feels different. And I, I think when you, when you just look at who it is demonstrating and there always been, there've always been uh, white people who have been part of the civil rights movement and, and in this country have given their lives um, for, for civil rights. 
Um, but this is different in the sense of the number of people that seem to be gripped by it and the type of people that seem to be gripped by it uh, and the number of young people that, that seem to be uh, energized by, by what's going on in terms of trying to make it right. Um, so it, it does seem different. It does seem different. And I don't know why it's different now than it was, you know, when a 14 year old boy, um, you know, gets killed. Why, why is it different now, um, for a 48 year old man? And I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know why it's different, but, but it does, it does feel different. I just hope that the momentum that they have in terms of the protests and demonstrations, I hope the momentum keeps going so that we at least keep it at the front of America's consciousness. That's what we've got to do. It's got to stay in our conscious place so that we, so that we deal with it and don't just think, okay, well, in a couple of weeks we can, we can move on. They'll settle down. Um, it, 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 it's important to keep the momentum going. Um, and unfortunately there, there are elements it's very complicated now, right? It's not as simple as, okay, these people are peacefully demonstrating. Now, you know, you have, uh, apparently you have white supremacist groups that are jumping in and acting as protesters and you know, all this stuff. And you have, you have people who are, who, who really don't want any government you have anarchists who are out there. I mean, it's, it's really complicated uh, and, and it can be ugly, but when, when, when I, it's also, it's made it more convenient for people who dig their heels in to say that, Hey, look at these protesters. Exactly. They, yeah, they, they are vandalizing yep. and, and they then, no respect, then the violent. they just want to steal free stuff and, you know, it, they don't want to work for a living. They don't want to, they want everything given to them. I mean, so many things that, that then come from, from all of that. But again, as, as I look around and I see young people engaged and I see, um, large numbers of white people standing there with black people. Um, and I drive through little America and see people doing what I saw a few weeks ago. There's, there's still hope. Well, I don't care if anyone listens to our conversations. <laughs> I, I, I don't I feel, really care. I feel like I should send you, um, 500 bucks as like a therapy bill for today. Cause that, that was, that was good. I need that. <laughs> Well, next time I talk to you, I'll be a dad. And I think yeah, congratulations, so much man. Is, looking forward to you that. Know, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward well, to that. That's uh that's that's I, good um, stuff. It doesn't it doesn't get better than that. Well, it'll be a few years before he's gonna be able to uh have a stream of consciousness. So I've got some time to figure <laughs> out how to raise him. But appreciate your friendship, buddy, and appreciate you, and, man. Uh let, let's do this again. Sounds good. Sooner uh, good. Later. Give my best to Paris and uh, keeping you guys in my prayers often and um, for baby Grayson too. Yeah, I'll send you my, uh, I'll, I'll send you a list of questions when I'm having trouble with my first diaper. <laughs> See you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Love you, Trap. Love you too. I hope you enjoyed listening. Do not forget to subscribe and download and tell your friends. I would love to build this community and continue to be all about authenticity, optimism, and hope. Uh, looking forward to the next podcast. We'll see you soon. The Travis Stork Show podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.